0: Okay, so it gives me great pleasure to welcome Michael Quintana to the Building New Realities podcast. Hi, Michael. Good to see you. Uh, nice to meet you. Good to meet you. And um, yeah, I've been having a little chat with, with Michael just prior to recording. Um, and yeah, lots of lots of areas where we cross over together. I should actually say that I, I've actually sort of been diagnosed with, with COVID. So um, if I sound sniffy or start <laughs> to lose the thread of our conversation at any point, I do apologize in advance. But because we are... Very socially distanced, we can still uh, undertake this conversation um, with safety. Um, So, Michael has worked in a range of uh, innovation uh, organizations. Uh, He seems to be heavily involved in sport. Currently, he's Director of Innovation Solutions at Sony. Uh, So, yeah, really delighted to, to
1: talk to you today. Yeah, no, glad to be here. It's exciting. There's a lot happening in the innovation space, as we're all aware. So, no, I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Yeah, a lot going on in our space.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, and the aim of this podcast, obviously, it's called Building New Realities. And that's, you know, very clearly a, a space that we are we are both involved in. And um, just so we can get a little bit of a flavor of, of some of your work, how did you get into the position of di- director of innovation solutions, uh, where you are now? I actually looked at, obviously looked at your profile and saw that you started in photography uh, with, um, with, I think it was QPR. Is that right?
1: yeah 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 it was um so this is always one of the things that excited me and worried me at the same time is my my interest all around kind of innovation and technology and you know this kind of space but a very quite broad you know and over time i was hoping that you know photography i love photography i love the editing i loved creating social media posts out of that you know and obviously that meant i had my finger on the pulse of social media and marketing But I also started working with a, um, obviously I'm a big nerd. So I started working in the game sector and helping some companies, you know, kind of push their, their marketing in the game sector, um, changing some of the game design stuff from there. I started working in the VR space. That was something I was always really passionate about. And I, at that point realized, geez, you know, VR is a fantastic medium. You know, you can, you know, bring people into these spaces that they can't normally access and fantastic fantastic kind of coincidence was i was working at qpr at that same time so i started working for a vr company was also shooting at qpr qpr gave me loads of room to kind of come up with creative you know concepts and marketing and, and design and i said hey you know the thing i learned is a lot of fans you know i was quite um I almost took it for granted i was on the pitch with the players all the time i was chatting with your real fernandez and hanging out with all these guys and I started realizing actually a lot of the fans would die to be in this position. Mm. So I started thinking they would love to be here, but it's not feasible to get everybody on the pitch all the time. I could start bringing in, you know, uh, ideas around virtual reality. And I started working with the company, the virtual reality companies, created a QPR, um, you know, pitch experience. And that was really where these two worlds started to, to collide and how I kind of flew forward from, from there.
0: Okay. That's really interesting. So, yeah, I mean, a big part of, of what we do with VR is access. You know, one of our kind of guiding philosophies at Future Visual has been um, access to situations and scenarios that are either physically impossible or prohibitively expensive, right? And having yeah. act, being on the pitch and having access to, to top talent is one of those kind of scenarios. So was it when you were there that you thought, okay, did you get, presumably you got uh, like a 360 filming company involved and start started doing... Um, 360 film in that way sort of uh, uh, and positioning it as beyond the pitch was that your sort of first in was that your first wo- uh, job so to speak uh, using VR or first so project I, I should say
1: yeah yeah so I did do that that was um kind of a low-hanging fruit and we we played around experimented that. but where things started becoming kind of fan uh, fan-facing was I worked with a developer and we yeah, you know, everyone wants to, you know, imagine scoring a goal on the home side, right? And then, you know, the crowd goes wild. So I thought, well, what can we do with, um, at that point, it was only 3 dof you know, VR. So there was no, you know, you know, tracking of any sort. So I thought, well, the easiest thing to do is headers, right? Everyone dreams, you know, you take a corner kick, you know, set piece, you got a corner kick, boom, you head it in, home mm-hmm. side goes wild. So it created a VR experience uh, or game. I hate saying experience because, you know, it's actually, it was a game. And you can, um, it was binaural, so you listen, and if there, was a, um, if there was a whistle on the right, you knew the ball was coming instantly off the mm-hmm. right side, mm-hmm. you'd head it in, and there was the goal, but the goal also had um, kind of a point system, and you would obviously try to head it into the, the area of the highest points, created a, um, a, like a fan competition you know, um, in, their, in their fan zone. So you take your name down and everything, then get your 30 seconds to try to beat the high score. And it went off really well. It was, it was a great experience. So, yeah, that's all where, where it kind of started.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's good use, isn't it? Like with the with the tracking on the head, like head heading the yeah, ball yeah. in. And um, and obviously you're, you're you're at Sony now. And with your role at Sony, I mean, with the bits that you can speak about, obviously understand a lot of it be sort of under NDA. But with your role there, you sort of more focused on the broadcast technology, because obviously. You know, Sony's a, is a massive company and perhaps when the general customer or listener thinks of Sony, they might just think of, um, you know, games or kind of consumer gear. But they've obviously got a um, huge pedigree and background uh, in, yeah. in broadcast technology with all like the beta SP um, and, and, you know, all the beta cams, digi beta and just being at the forefront of of, of broadcast kind of systems. So with what, what you're doing at Sony at the moment, is it on that more broadcast side? Is it on consumer technology? What, what's the sort of, what's the remit there?
1: So it's quite broad. So I started off with uh, within Hawkeye, which is uh, sports technology solutions. So that sits inside Sony. Uh, Hawkeye build uh, broadcast solutions, you know, so finding ways to bring sport to broadcast and make that more engaging, more interesting, uh, make it easier for broadcasters to do their job, get information from the pitch into the broadcast as well. The other side of that coin is the um, is the uh, uh, the engagement side. There's a little bit of a of an, of an engagement. Oh, sorry. The other side was the the officiating side of things. So making officiating within sports fair, and that's where you get VAR and electronic line calling in in tennis. Where I came in initially with them was how can they capitalize on working within these sports? How can they find ways to maybe get their hands into new markets and and new spaces and it's quite a bit of a challenge because you remember hawkeye creates a lot of data you know the systems are great you know it's fantastic they create a lot of data in in the space and that data is very valuable but that was some of the problem is that data is so valuable your rights owners knew what to do with it so it was kind of some of this the difficulty was how can you take a space that's kind of already carved up and get hold of some of the assets in that space, and then com- have the rights to commercialize and do things. So where I've um, unfortunately just Hawk and I were just I think we, you know great people. We just came at things from two different you know two different perspectives, and they're still trying to do some things in their in their core space. So we um, we agreed to disagree. is probably the best way to put it. Um, like I said, great guys, and you know nothing personal, but. On exiting Hawkeye, Sony have kind of reached out and said, hey, let's, you know, let's keep you close and let's see if we can potentially um, look at some other opportunities and other things that that Sony can do. So I kind of sit in this, I always tell the people that I speak to almost this like clandestine um, Mission Impossible, you know, kind of operative where I'm not working with Hawkeye anymore, but Sony have kind of keeping me in and around the space and, you know, we're meeting and discussing things and seeing where things go. So, yeah, there's a lot to to look forward to. But um, that's also meant that, you know, I receive a lot of, you know, information and ideas and thoughts from from other stakeholders and people who want to say, hey, this whole metaverse and blockchain thing, this is, you know, what's happening here. This is really cool. What opportunities are there? So, Yeah. Well, let's well, let's 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 stay on that then. I mean, it's obviously,
0: metaverse particularly has blown up in the you know in the last couple of months. Uh, you know, blockchain's been around for a long time and sounds like it's been trying to find its route to traction because obviously you can you, you can deploy it in so many ways. Uh, yeah. uh, and it's currently it, it currently looks like it's getting traction in the context of metaverse, and then the context of NFTs. Um, Bizarrely, you know, it's bizarre, isn't the way things actually get traction in the end. But when people come to you, are they just coming to you, and go, "Hey, I hear, I hear," you know, I'm hearing a lot of buzz around Metaverse, I'm hearing a lot of buzz around blockchain, or do they come to you with like, "Hey, I've got this idea around my, my um, the way I deal with fan access to the stadium, or whatever the, the, thing, is, um, yeah. the thing they is." Yeah. Deal with is.
1: So it's kind of a mix. Um, obviously, when uh, when I was with Hawkeye. I was working directly with the you know sports rights holders, you know your all your big leagues and federations and all that, and it was interesting because everyone's started to realize, you know, I mean I'm 43, I'm still young at heart though, you know, and I'm, I'm not old, I don't think anyway, but you know young at heart as well. I'm I have my finger on the pulse of what's happening and what kids are doing and you know what young people are doing, so. The sports world has definitely recognized, hey, we're losing this Gen Z audience, or we're not gaining the Gen Z audience. You know, they're playing, you know, I'd say Fortnite, everyone says Fortnite, but you know, they're playing Fortnite and Valorant and Rocket League, and they're engaging with their influencers and streaming things, but they're coming to, some still come to sport, but a lot of times if they're coming, overall, they're kind of coming to watch the highlights or they're coming to watch the, um, you know, to watch the, the last 10 minutes or so, which is fits the model that they're used to. They're used to short form content, get in, get out. And it, traditional sports aren't fitting that, um, or traditional sports content isn't fitting that level, the levels of engagement that they want. You know, they're used to watching something and telling the guy they're watching, hey, do this or move your character here, or even on Twitch, you know, you can actually engage with the game that they're playing and create, you know, activations or, you know, obstacles and, you know, actions. So that's where um, where I get some people coming at me from that perspective. And then I get some people saying, like you said, hey, you know, blockchain, metaverse, you know, Facebook now says it's a thing. You know, what opportunities are there? How does this work? And I find that, like you said, kind of interesting because blockchain has been around for, for a number of years. And I wasn't, I knew of it, but I wasn't that heavily involved in the beginning. And then now it's a bit of a, a land, what do you call it? Like a gold rush. Everyone's, you know, looking left and right. My competitors are doing it. So I want to do it. You know, and everyone's trying to just attack the space and figure out what to do. And where I start to, I think, fit in, hopefully coming to my own is, is being able to tie that into the real opportunities. Okay. Here's what blockchain is. Here's what, you know, DeFi is and here's what NFTs are. Here's how these things can apply into these, you know, um, new ways of, of creating, you know, engagement. So it's, it's a great place to be. I I try to kind of keep the hype, um, in check as is, is well. You know, a lot of people, like I said, you know, the news, you, you just say metaverse and you're going to get a, a PR run, you know, in the press. And I try to kind of manage those expectations saying, look, the hype is real. That bubble is probably going to burst a little bit, but underneath that is a real foundation though, yeah, you know, and agreed. that's where, where things yeah. set in.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good way. I mean, it's, it's, it's good to be part of the hype cycle, but it's also be good to be calling it a hype cycle at the same time. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, higher, higher highs and higher lows. Right, you know, the yeah. expectation goes up here and it pops, it comes down, but it it's it, it's higher than it was previously in its sort of functionality use.
1: Yeah, uh, you can leverage that. Um, I look at it like jet like jet propellant, right? In other words, you can wave the PR flag just to wave the flag and get some raise your share prices or get some attention. But if you do it in the right way and if your interest in the space is genuine, you can use that as a catapult, you know, people gravitate to the brand. You, you take that momentum, you innovate, you start showing the public and the consumer, hey, this is what we're doing, and here's some examples. Mm. And really, it's an opportunity to move into something that's gonna be the next you know, era of computing. Agreed. Uh, I also thought your point, point about highlight
0: culture is worth uh, discussing, and that, because this re- represents a really, a, a really big shift, a really big trend. Um, you know, how, uh, now that people, most people go to sort of YouTube for their entertainment or their information, and everything is carved up into these very snappy, attention-grabbing um, pieces. And now, whether the context of a ninety-minute game, unless it's a you know a huge game like a derby or a final or something, can yeah. can really stand up. You know, how do you get that buzz going? Like, you know, I like F one, so I'm all excited for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but normally I can let it slide. So you know I bought a day pass last weekend for the Saudi Arabia. Um, a race because I'm I'm not a, not a Sky subscriber, yeah. Um, but getting that kind of interest around more sporting events now. Obviously, you can't create something that is as significant as something like the Abu Dhabi or even the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix, right? You know, this is the semi, essentially the semi-final and final of the sort yeah. of you know, the F1 series this year. Uh, and and so it's grabbed my interest, but yeah, people, you know, going back to the point, which is around highlight culture, about wanting it to be in snappy, uh, thirty second, two minute uh, yeah, yeah. pieces. Uh, and I guess one, you know, one of the ways we've been looking at doing that in immersive is is you've got a range of stuff going on now. You know, we built a system which I sort of shared the preview film with you, which is around esports, and and you know, a lot of the time in esports, you've got a lot going on, but then sometimes you you know the action drips off or well, it's obviously that okay this team's gonna lose this round. So like I'm I'm kinda getting a bit bored now. And yeah. typically when you're like, no, there's only one ninety minute match on T V and there's only ten channels rent rather than ten thousand. Because it's at that point then when the action becomes boring that people start, Oh, I'm just gonna look around for something else and start scrolling. Yeah, yeah. It's like how do you stop people just going into how do you keep their attention? How do you keep those eyeballs? Um so yeah, so one of the things we've been doing in home stadium is obviously you've got like the feeds from the action, you've got the feeds on the table, but then there's other playables and bits going on. So almost when there's a lull in the action, it's like, bing, here's a new game to play. Or, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can throw extra things on because you've detected that, you know, there's kind of a drop in conversation or there's a drop in volume from the users or, um, if you've got AI going, it's telling you like, "Hey, this leg's done." You know, team, this other team are going to win. Yeah, yeah.
1: You uh, and, and therefore, you can, and therefore,
0: you can start throwing other bits in. So, yeah, just just to chat around, you know, highlight culture is a real thing, and I think we we can we can use that in, in into our advantage, right? And that that people want extra bits uh, thrown in at the appropriate time, which is all along the lines of sort of personalization and and, and yeah. understanding your audience
1: yeah yeah no that, that's that's uh you know case in point is you know like i said you know we're used to or people are used to you know it started out long form you know even with like the of social media it was long form people were watch a, a youtube video for 10 15 you know 20 minutes and then you started getting um you know things like like vine which were um what was it 30 seconds 45 seconds right, yeah. you know now we're in the TikTok stage of that you know and I see. I see the benefits and the negatives. You know, on one hand, you know, it's great. You get to the point. It's exciting. It keeps you moving. You know, but on the other hand, you know, it's like you're you're like a twitch bird. You know, you're just going from like one thing to the next, and you know, and you're not really giving your a brain a chance to digest. But we have to move with the times. You know, and this is all uncharted territory. You know, we're we may look up 10 years from now and realize, oh, geez, that wasn't the best, and our attention spans have dropped, and you know whatnot. But it's all in the name of, of of progress. You know, we're looking to see what can we do, what's attractive. So people have to move. Um, you know, with that, you can you know hedge your bets if you want and say, you know, I don't think there's anything in that. Let's keep with the traditional formats and let people come watch the match and then go home. You know, drink a pint and then go home or whatever it is. But I think the rights holders, you know, whether it's you know esports rights holders or whether it's you know sports rights holders, they're all recognizing the shift in audience behavior and they're you know it's a product if people forget sports is a product you know for mm. example so if people aren't watching it your product's losing value so how you know you need to figure out what caters to that audience mm.
0: so so let's get into the uh, into the m word uh what did what does the metaverse mean to you
1: yeah the metaverse geez it's, um, that's a funny one because you know, when you hear your favorite song on the radio and you hear it too much, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it starts to kind of lose Fine. its um this value a little bit for a little while at least until yeah. people forget about it. But um now the metaverse is the metaverse is big, but the way I think I position it is it's what's underneath the metaverse that's really what's interesting. And the metaverse is one of the things that sits on top, which is blockchain with blockchain you know having you know assets that you can take with you that you can track that you can own from one experience into another i think that's that speaks to human nature right we we want you know if you go shopping or no another example if you go to watch arsenal play and you get an arsenal t-shirt and then your mate invites you to watch you know um his local team you don't have to take that shirt off and change into your local team shirt you know whatever you own goes with you and I think that's part of human nature I I buy something I own it I take it with me I can sell it you know I know the value of it people know if it's an original or if it's one of a million and now we're putting that into um, a digital space by having something such as blockchain to underpin that and then what you say is this is the um the backbone let's put a metaverse on top where you're getting these you know um kind of immersive experiences where you know it doesn't have to be obviously VR and AR it could be on a on a phone or on a on a you know laptop or television even, but what I think is exciting is metaverse coming into this. Uh, the timing of it's just right, where people are willing, you know, AR and VR, especially VR, are starting to become mainstream. And with that, people are recognizing that okay, I can, you know, human nature, we want to experience something as if we're there. And the technology, um, the barrier to entry is all coming down, and now people are, you know, not shy of having this box on their face and obviously in the future that box is going to shrink but we're in a space now where we can have these real life ex- or have these experiences in the digital world that kind of mirror the physical things that we can do in real life you know now we can have these things that come with us and go from a sony experience to a adidas experience to a roblox experience so i think yeah it's a it's a new era of computing i think is probably the the way to put it so if i
0: understood correctly what you find exciting about the metaverse Day is about people being able to take their ids and their kind of the the digital goods or objects that they've acquired and move between experiences with them
1: right yeah yeah i think the timing is 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 great you know you look at blockchain that represents you know decentralization i think right now people are very switched on to your big corporate tech behemoths who own your data, know everything about you. And you know, people are realizing, wait a minute, I don't want them to know everything about me and then potentially kind of manipulate me into decisions I don't realize I'm being manipulated into. So the culture is ready for, you know, I want to take that power back a little bit. I want to own my data. I don't want government always knowing where my money is. You know, I know it can sound shady and there are people that you know do some shady things, but the idea is I want to, be my own person again, you know. And blockchain helps to, um, you know, can help, uh, you know, bring that to fruition. You know, there's, there's, yeah, it's it's exciting times.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I often will sort of think about the 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 system that will enable that because, you know, I I, I get in terms of like creating those objects, whether it's like some specialized avatars or whether you're buying your Gucci trainers or you know whatever yeah. the stuff is Um, but in terms of the system it 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 seems like it will be to me it could be something like you know part of your like apple wallet system right you know it's just like it's just a way for kind of collating your your profile and your id um and and it seems that it'll be something tied to you know obviously it's got to be tied to an id and it's got to be tied to something that you use all the time yeah Um, so yeah i'm interested to see what what is the protocol that comes out because you know like anything if you come out with all these splintered protocols yeah they're not going to be the one that actually works whereas you know we just we always want you know we we want the simple one which right is the one in our pocket and and i suspect it'll be something like that be a wallet kind of system
1: well that's Um, what's um that's what's kind of happening now. I think there's two developments. And this is just my opinion, but I think there's these like two development streams. One is everyone's developing, you know, blockchains or things that sit on blockchain. And then there's people realizing, you know, wait a minute, you know, it's great if you're on one blockchain and you have all these experiences there. But what if I also have something that I own on a different blockchain, you know, and then you're they're not connecting, they're not, you know, um, you know touching each other. So I think that's one of, you know, I think was it Polkadot is one of the, one of the technologies that's looking at how do we connect blockchains up so that if you are on one blockchain that's good for a certain type of technology to sit on top of it you can still go to another blockchain that fits you know another type of technology where you have assets in that space as well it's making sure that it's all tied up now something that i advise is for everyone to remember um especially corporates i think smaller companies startups and and you know startups are a little bit more mature recognize this is all new this is all new and you know it's like that debate between betamax and vhs you know you could take your gamble in one or the other eventually one you know wins out because we want a standard Mm. so i know there's efforts i've been involved in those efforts to create standards the potential of standards you know building a consortium of the right companies and organizations to start to look at standardizing um you know metaverse and, and blockchain and finding a way where they can interconnect and interoperate you know have interoperability so i yeah i think that's probably the biggest hurdle that i think um sits right now in the way of kind of a mass adoption is making sure that hey it's easy to be a part of you know people know how to build a wallet and, and get involved but that they also you know if you're on one blockchain you can still get to another one without having to think which one do i want to hedge my bets with
0: yeah and it seems to me there's
1: actually still
0: quite a big gap between the where where we are now and that at that becoming you know a reality like all like all these things you know they're pretty complex and to make it like an easy no-brainer yeah kind of solution you know, because even at the moment, getting on different, you know, getting your MetaMask open, you know, this and that. Yeah it's, uh, yeah. it's, you know, it's not it's not entirely frictionless.
1: No, I agree. I think the mass adoption will come from the gaming industry. You know, those that's the audience that is willing to tinker. And, you know, I mean, look at, you know, gamers now, you know, doing mods and all that kind of stuff. So they're used to this, you know, and that Gen Z demographic in particular. So I think, the winners will come out of making the onboarding process easy Mm. also for as fantastic as it is to have you know uh, a wallet and and it's fully decentralized and it's yours and no one else is aware of what you're doing except for you or at least anonymously you know except for you if you lose your key you know if someone hacks your account there is that risk of okay you know who do I go to for recourse? It's not like the bank, you know, where somebody gets your assets, you can phone them up and say, Hey, look, I've been hacked or somebody's taken my ID, you know, and close it down and potentially even recoup that. So I think there's industry opportunities in that space, you know, for as much as people like to be, Hey, I'm off the radar, you know, and it's my data only. I think there's room for, you know, developments in that space too, where almost like an insurance program of, of sorts. Yeah. Agreed. What do you think about um, NFTs? So yeah, I, I, I really like it. But I really feel like I, I'm, I'm, I'm very open about the bubble. You know, I think right now, everyone's like, Hey, look, I just did this new trainer. Hey, look, I just did this, you know, this top, or here's some monkey art and, you know, board, you know, board, a, but, you know, and it's great. And there's a value for hype. Let me put it that way. Hype has a real value, because mm-hmm. the hype you know, a lot of people are like, oh, this is hype. You know, it's going to go away and it's a waste of time. You know, there's certain people that feel like that. But hype for me takes something from being niche geekdom mm. to kind of more mainstream. You know, whether you like it or not, you know, it's mm. like good press is or bad press is still press. It makes it more mainstream. And I think that's where NFTs are going through right now is everybody's NFT this, NFT that. You know, there's every sports, you know, league and federation and team and, you know, artist is doing it but it has a real value. You know, it's showing the world, okay, there's this new technology, you know, it's NFTs, it's based on blockchain. There's, um, you know, what's it called? Like provenance. You can see where it's come from. You can, you know, sell it and transact it. So I, I I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I think that's just scratching the surface. It's the tip of the iceberg of really what's behind blockchain, the power of, of blockchain. Yeah. I think that's a
0: really interesting sentence you, you put down there, you know, the hype has a value. I think it does. It's very easy to go. Ah, oh, it's just a hype cycle. But I think it's like the point we made earlier. I made earlier you know, about you know it's well, it's a higher low, you know. Yeah. It, if it's kind of edging it forward like that, and, and you know, and, and I, I, I truly do see the, the value of NFTs as well. And, you know, if you're able to make, you know, an object have providence, it has interaction, it is updatable, it yeah. is, and I think updatable and interactable are the, are the kind of the, the the key elements there. You know, if if it, you know, if the object like, even if it's a ticket and you bought a ticket to one event, but that ticket might at some point get updated.
1: Yeah. Which well, is some just some... a fancy,
0: it's just a fancy way of someone's saying, um, yeah, you've bought this ticket and then they send you an email shot, you know, because they've got your, yeah. your ID. But if it's the actual object becomes, you know, has, a, has, a, has an OS, um, so to speak. Then, yeah, like think, smart
1: contract and, and yeah. all that. It gets interesting because I love the the balance of the digital and the real coming together. So I think there's um and that will help build acceptance too. You know, if you buy an NFT um, of a, an NFT you know piece of art and you also get a physical piece of art with it, you know, then th- that helps kind of nurture that market, the, the acceptance of that market. But this is where I like the um, the convergence of immersive technology coming in at the same time as the whole concept of blockchain and metaverse. Because if you do things like, you know, you're in, let's say Roblox and Nike, you know, or Nike, as I say here, if um, if you go into Roblox and, you know, you, you can see a virtual shoe on a screen, you know, then it's great. That could be a new launch before it comes out. Hey, here's what the Nike shoe is going to be like. You can move it and twist it. You can already do that anyway on a website. Mm. But with the advent of immersive technology, such as like VR, and obviously when AR, glasses AR comes out, it's going to just completely blow it out of the water, is... I'm in, a, in an experience and I have a virtual, let's say I'm watching a, a football match, you know, um, a FIFA, like uh, uh, EA FIFA, you know, a, a video game. And I earn uh, Ronaldo's, you know, trainer, right? I, I can't remember who he's sponsored by, but if it's Adidas, I get an Adidas trainer and it's my NFT. Fantastic, I can look at it or not. But I could also maybe use that NFT to go to the Adidas shop and get like a 10% discount, right? So now that NFT has a value, and because it's in an immersive space, I can look down and see what the shoe actually looks like and, you know, model it on my avatar or my character and actually get a, a proper preview of what I'm about to purchase in a way that we, you know, you normally can't do. You, you buy from Amazon, you get it, and then you look at it and think, oh, yep, that's what I bought, or ooh, that wasn't what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. But in the VR and immersive space, you actually get to see it and experience it, you know? So... Yeah,
0: yeah I mean, I'm really excited about... Uh... Tabletop uh, FIFA, you know, like so when you've got it in like yeah. AR AR mode and you've got it sort of volumetric play out uh, on the table in front of you and you've got all the yeah. sort of stats and data uh, arising. But, I mean, I think the volumetric capture of sport. I think it will start with close contact. You know, it'd be like UFC, boxing, just because the, the the form factor of that is easier to capture.
1: Yeah, smaller. Yeah, space. but then
0: yeah, but then looking at uh, capture of traditional sports is going to be really interesting
1: yeah and i think you'll see right now you know we have the phone right And you do your ar experience through phone and you know that's great it's a little bit gimmicky but it has this value but once you start getting into um well like vr for instance with with you guys' product it's really cool from the stuff i've seen you know and then eventually when you get to ar and you can literally have the sport playing on your table lean in and see things or blow it up to in front Mm of you you know in front of your lounge i think it things are really going to hot up because when you get to that AR stage, all of these digital assets that some people right now think, why would you pay for something that you only could look at on a screen? That's going to take that next step of, it's not just a screen. I can see it in volumetric space in real life and I can, you know, fling it to my, my mates and let them see it as well. And, you know, all of a sudden you get very close to basically digitizing your real world experiences. And I think that's where it's going to take off. It's gonna, that's
0: going to be a really interesting breakthrough. You know, when we get like the, the iPhone equivalent of, of, of the yeah. AR glasses from Apple, where, you know, yeah. you know let's say you are going to a fancy dress party with your mates, but you don't actually have to buy any of the gear, right? As long as you've all got your kind of, your, your, your AR one from Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and therefore you can just put, put your avatar outfit together. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be really fun.
1: I've seen that. Now, as a businessman, you know, you think, I don't want to say anything that that kind of, you know, goes against the things that I want to achieve and whatnot. But one of my things that I I kind of pride myself on is trying to be honest about things. You know, like, look, you know, we have the tort, not to bring politics, you know, but everyone's upset about Christmas party Gate lately, right? Like, oh, you know, they said, don't party, don't do this. And then they went and had a big party, you know, is what it looks like. And I believe I want to be transparent with things. And something I think about a lot is kind of what you said, which is when we get to a stage where you have AR glasses and you can look around and virtualize everything, you know, overlay everything you look at to be whatever it is you want to look at. I am currently trying to think ahead and think what are the psychological and the like, you know, kind of mental uh, ramifications of that, you know, because we're advancing technology faster than we're advancing our own um our own uh, what do you call it um our own well brain. our own
0: our own, our, our own brain plasticity or our yeah. own our own evolution it's like the technology is going like this yeah. and our evolution yeah. is kind of going like
1: <laughs> yeah and i've had some some great conversations with the um with the sports psychologist um just mm-hmm. cuz he's a psychologist and we've been talking around around you know what that could mean both good and bad so you know i think it's something that there's also industry space to be able to highlight these things. The same way um, social media, you know, everyone's now blown up because we realized ooh, they were doing a lot of things to kind of manipulate us into continuing to scroll and staying on the platform. And I think we've woken up to that. And that's why everyone's like, wait a minute, I want to own my data now. I want to get away from everyone, you know, people, you know, a few key companies knowing everything about me. And I think there's a value to being having that kind of openness, like, hey, this is great. This is exciting but we're also interested to look at, to make sure it's healthy and that it's not damaging and that we're able to, you know, build with it in a way that's gonna be in everyone's best interest. What did your um, sports
0: psychologist colleague say about that kind of quandary or question?
1: Yeah, let me remember back, but he was saying, um, he was talking about the number of mental health cases, you know, going up. And some of that is just because we have more awareness, maybe almost like cancer, right? You know there's a lot more cancer cases, but it's also that we have the technology to, to detect it and to know mm-hmm. what it is. You know, so that you recognize that perspective. We also recognize that we're moving, yeah, our technology is mm-hmm. moving way faster than our, um, than our evolution, our brain chemistry, our brain evolution. Mm-hmm. And especially now that we're getting into these spaces that can immerse us and basically recreate what we can do in real life, we're now getting really close to doing that in the virtual space. And he was, his concern was that, not that it's bad, and this is me genuinely repeating this, it's not that it was bad at all, but more that we just need to be willing to be aware of, keep an eye on it and know, okay, is it changing us or are we becoming more antisocial or are we creating mental health problems, you know? And if we are, can we have our cake and eat it too? Is there a way to, to still have the tech and the things that we, we crave and are interested in having? but being able to address any of the potential problems so that we can do both and enjoy it. It might be like sugar, right? You, you have it, but you, 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 know, you kind of have to be careful how much you have. Yeah, like most things. Yeah. <laughs> like don't forget to go outside and play.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, what's your aspiration for the field you work in?
1: Yeah, that's, I um, know my mom's not watching, right? My parents aren't watching. <laughs> but um, no, I'm still, I'm still getting there, but I think, I love creating. This goes back to that first question that you asked me, which is, wow, you started off in kind of this, you know, photography space, and whatnot. And I got there because I was in graphic design, and then I realized, oh, I can take the images, and I know what to do with them, you know, as well. So I love technology. I, you know, the main thing is I love creating, and then I have a passion for tech. So that that combination of creating and working with technology to create is is something I love. So I I would love if I won the lottery tomorrow kind of thing, I think um, I would love to create game experiences, you know, things that show, you know, video games that are, you know, especially like immersive games like VR and AR games that can be fun and be entertaining, but also tick some of the diversity boxes and not just as a tick box exercise, but be able to show wow, this is what it's like to be a person of color or hey, you know, what was slavery like in, in, you know, back in the 1700s or what do women go through and, you know, but to gamify these things too, because it's interesting to have it in a educational, you know, traditional educational sense, you can put on a headset and be a black person or be a woman or you know all these different things. But to be able to do it in a way that's really compelling and I think film and, and entertainment really help to kind of seed those messages. So to be able to do that, those kind of you know things that, but to, in a kind of gamified sense, where people finish, you know, there's one or two games I played in VR where I finished, and I was like, like wow, I was, I was there. I was, I was almost emotional. I was like, I was there. I really. Experienced what what, it. what games were they? Uh, Farpoint was one on PlayStation VR. Um, that game, I'll caveat it with saying that was towards the beginning of my VR experience, and you know what VR is like, right? When you first do it, you know, even yeah. on mobile, it's like mind blowing. Yeah. And then after a while, you're kind of chasing the high, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> but that game, they did something amazing, um, in my opinion. So it combined, you know, it came out of time when I was still fairly new to VR. So obviously there's the automatic, you know, tick there. Of of course, it is mind-blowing because I was new. But it also, um, I don't want to give away the plot, but basically it's kind of way in the future. You're on a space station, something goes wrong, you get zapped into this, um, like, wormhole and end up on the other side. And one of the things they really did is you're a guy trying to find all your mates, basically. And you're wandering around, and you find out there's aliens and things, and you're trying to defend yourself. But you also keep coming across these holograms. And these holograms, remember, this is all in VR, so it's fantastic, you know. And these holograms are these two scientists um, who just got sucked in, and you're trying to find them. You're like, okay, they're my people. Let me find them. But those two scientists, it's a, a, um, a white lady, and, and, a black lady uh, and a black man and they're not related to nothing you know they are two people who are colleagues and over time they ticked they did the right thing you know if you end up in that situation in real life and you end up there for 10 15 years you may go from being colleagues to something more intimate right it's just human nature it's natural and they addressed that in the game and then because it was um, a mixed race couple you know, a mixed couple as well and then there was a child and then the whole plot develops with that along with the main plot of the game well they they collide, was just, it really showed me the power of VR because like I said, it was a game. This is where I get my idea that I was just telling you about is it was a game, but it also brought this like real human. A big you know,
0: social, it had a, had a big social piece in rather than like, yeah. okay, now you've got to go and explode, blow stuff up.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it really just shows you, you know, it's like a good film, right? Some mm. films are other are, films, but they have these, you know, these things that show, you know, human nature. And that's what that did. And, and, um, and, yeah, it was just, a, it was an awesome game. Yeah. Yeah. It's lovely. Good description. And what are the, what are the
0: technical, technical challenges to your work? Do you find your more on a sort of strategy side or do you, are there sort of technical challenges you come up with in, in terms of deployment and getting projects delivered?
1: So it's a mix of both. Um, with the newer stuff, the new, like emerging tech side, there's a lot of, Strategy involves. I think you know it's easy to say, look, there's metaverse, here's blockchain. We want to jump on that because you know we we think you know Tim Sweeney said it's you know multi-trillion you know dollar a year you know thing, and everyone gets involved. But if you are looking at a balance, you know, so initially you're looking at, okay, what is the technology? What underpins all of this? What is blockchain? How does blockchain work? How does the metaverse sit on top of that as an example? But then you're also looking at, okay, this is an emerging space, so there are no definite answers. there's a few things rising up, but you know, it's still being explored. So what you want to do is kind of create a strategy of exploration, you know, and that works differently for different companies, some companies can throw millions of pounds at, you know, taking a gamble and seeing what there is in the space, other companies have to be really measured and say, we can kind of only do this if we think it's going to convert, you know, into a revenue stream soon enough, you know, to justify our investment. So a lot of it is, is strategy with a technical a strong technical understanding of, of the technology where i like to sit is the mix of the two i think you know knowing the technology how it works what the experiences can be that are compelling you know what underpins that to make it work and then having the tech having the strategy to be able to roll that out to get the right people on board to build that into that 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 vision because One of the things I hate, and this is something I got experience with at QPR, funny enough, was I hate when there's a great idea or a great product, but it fails because they didn't market it right or they didn't get the timing right or didn't execute the you know the getting it the go-to-market strategy. Or you I hate when you get a really crappy product, but they got the marketing down, you know, spot on, it's fire, and people are buying into this thing and they realize, oh that was a total letdown, right? So I love maybe it's part of my control thing, you know, but having a hand in both sides, I feel like I got the tech vision and I got the tech understanding. I got the vision. Let's put them together.
0: Yeah. Well, I, but I think as you say, you need to understand both those parts to, to have a hit, right. And we all want to have things ultimately we all, we all want to build things that people enjoy. Um, but yeah, you can have a great product, but if you don't get it to enough people, people aren't going to enjoy it or you get it to enough people. It doesn't work. It's going to suck. That's not, yeah. not satisfactory yeah. either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and so, so what do you, I mean, we've talked a lot about technology. We've talked about a lot about new things. But I can ask you, what are you curious about right now?
1: <clears throat> yeah. Um, one of the things I'm curious about is the long-term effects. Like I said, genuinely just curious about, you know, with all this tech, not even just mm-hmm. the metaverse and blockchain and get rid of the buzzwords. Let's just look at what we do now on our mobiles, you know, on our phones and, you know, mobile cell phones um looking at you know how we get around you know from location a to location b you know there's all these things and i I always wonder um what are the long-term effects you know how is this changing our brains you know is it for better for worse is it neutral i'm really interested in that another area that um that i'm quite passionate and uh, i've been blessed enough to become kind of a go-to pundit with the bbc and a few other broadcasters is the um, micro mobility space you know which is it's an empowerment space, I think, because it's not just you know it's green, it's great, it is green. Did you say micro micro mobility? So My, does that e-scooters. mean
0: e-scooters? Okay, okay, yeah, so absolutely. you're you're a pundit on that as well. Yeah, yeah, and well, cause it's, it a, it's, got... a it's a fascinating, fascinating space, right? You got all these yeah, e. I mean, uh, yeah, I saw it in the press today you know, E-scooters uh, now banned on TFL network due to lithium yeah, yeah, batteries yeah. catching fire. Yeah. But they're, it's, they're really cool. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. No, uh, no, yeah, so, no, so long-term effects of digital usage, I can get that. And then obviously, you're yeah curious about the, the mobility stuff.
1: Yeah, the about. mobility thing is, is, is great too, because again, it speaks to, you know, there's um, you know, there's people in a lower socioeconomic you know, uh, space who rely on public transport only. And if you're working shift work, for instance, then, you know, we'll, you know, if you've been, well, I live in London, but if you live around the UK, I'm sure it's the same experience. Uh, buses don't always run, they're late. You're working shift work, you just want to get home. Ultimately, you want control of what you do. You want to be able to go from point A to point B when you want to, not to have to rely on someone else. And micro mobility e-scooters, really tick a lot of boxes, you know, because they're green. People would ride them anyway if they emitted, you know, petrol, you know, they'd be a low emission still because it's a tiny thing. But people will still do it just because they're economic, they're fun, you know, you're on it, you're part of the world. Um, but they're a green way to get around and they're so the barrier to entry is so low cost of, it's very cost effective if I think for two ninety nine you can get one that can get you on paper fifteen miles probably reality about ten or eleven miles on a charge and that means you can go you can work shift work or you can you know do something late and still get home when you want even if the bus doesn't show up or the tubes are closed that just gives a lot of power to a lot of people and I find it a struggle, the government's kind of uptake or slow uptake on it because it's become a political issue. So that's woken me up to to how government works and some of the ups and downs of trying to get things through government policy. And even though something's an obvious answer, it's not always the accepted answer, because, you know, you got to deal with voters and constituents and all these kind of things. But but yeah, that's my that's my other two two interesting, interesting
0: areas. So I'm going to go slightly off piste. Now, uh, I'm gonna ask you, if you could have a billboard with anything on it to help build a new reality, what would it be and
1: why? A new billboard with anything on about reality? I would love, not in a snowflakey way, but I would love kind of diversity and inclusion. I think um, something showing how you can experience things through other people's shoes or see what it's like to, to hear the opposite party make their point or to you know walk in their shoes. I think because the reason I say that is because not just being a person of color, but um, obviously that's a no brainer, but um, right now with social media and the way we engage, it's so easy to see something and pour your anger out because there's no consequence, you know, and I think we are starting to kind of suffer repercussions of that. So prime example, and I'll be quick with this one in VR, I was playing that dodgeball game. And I met this guy, we were chatting, and then um, we were playing, like racquetball almost, you sometimes you start chatting with people as opposed to playing or handball. And he started telling me, he's an American, I'm, obviously I'm American, and we're, but he didn't know I was in the UK. And we're chatting, and then he started getting into kind of Trump's, this is back when Trump was in power, Trump policies and whatnot, and his way of thinking. And I started talking about it, and I was like, yeah, I can understand you, but I also think this, blah, blah, blah. But that conversation, Float. I'm. I'm not a Trump supporter at all. You know, I can understand why some people are, but because he, I had an avatar as a neutral avatar. He had a neutral avatar. Obviously, you know, I'm, I can err on the side of you know. I I, I think he was white, but it was fantastic because he didn't know I was a person of color, and so he was listening to my points. You know, and the the way we're able to communicate was so fluid. Whereas. You can kind of have a prejudice or an apprehension, even if you see somebody, you think automatically, "Oh, they're not going to agree with what I think, or they're not going to stand for what I stand for." So, I think the tech in that way, you know, technology like like immersive stuff, you know, can really open up people's minds and open. I I agree. I agree. I think that that
0: um, taking the preconceptions out of yeah. a debate is is very powerful because yeah. otherwise, you can see someone. And your preconceptions jump in and you're like, okay, 50% of this argument is done because I've made up my mind yeah. about <laughs> this person and what their view is. And we, can't, and we can't really, to be fair to us as humans, we can't really help that. It's just the way we're wired. And I think also a bit of sensitivity to, uh, to us as humans. Go Look, it's just the way we're wired, right? This is all, yeah. a, sa- this is all a safety system. From ten thousand years ago, that's uh, sadly the, the the OS has not been updated, yeah. and we're and we're, and we're left with a bunch of these sort of protection mechanisms or social mechanisms that have been very really true. that have been really useful, but are now massively out of date. You know, yeah. we're we're yeah. on like Windows ninety, not even like Windows ninety five. Like. Yeah, like three point one almost right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and but I think recognizing that and going, oh, I do do that. I you know, I yeah. I do. I am judgmental um is, is a great kickoff point for this kind of slightly new era where, where
1: we're going into yeah i fully totally agree i think um i try to as a person of color i try to recognize yeah there's some just crappy people out there right anyway but yeah sometimes there's people who are yeah, i mean you can't help but notice the difference if somebody's walking around with a big afro versus somebody um you know, another stereotype, let's say, well, all right, I can't think of one, I don't want to be offensive, but you know what I mean? Two different, you could just make your assumption. Let's just say
0: like a green Mohican.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect example. You can be like, oh, okay, that guy might be, you know, rough biker type, you know, mm-hmm. the guy with an afro walking around with a hoodie might be, you know, scary. And it's easy to, to have these worries and fears and some of it's media driven, some of it, you know, a lot of it's just lack of experience. And where I try to fit is in that understanding of, okay, you're always going to recognize something that's different. From you and as people were generally kind of attracted to what we know because there's safety in what we know. And if you can take that understanding and then leverage that and say, okay, so there's nothing wrong with you being a bit apprehensive because I'm different than you or I look different from you, but then let's build on that and use that as a vehicle to kind of work through acceptance, you know. Cause like mm-hmm. you like you said, I think natural to be apprehensive or afraid or, or curious, but we're humans, and we're higher level thinking, so we should then be able to get through that. You know,
0: great. If you had a hundred million pounds to spend on a social program and no red tape,
1: how would you spend it? Oh man, yeah. Um, I'm a big believer. I don't have a hundred pounds, but I'm a big believer in um, in philanthropy, especially. Right or wrong, I, I really like charity work, um, but not the kind where you send in a big check and you hope that they do the things that they did. And, you know, there's stakeholders, you know, earning hundreds of thousands, you know, in, in you know, leading these, these companies, organizations, I really like the idea a bit like Acon, getting actually on the ground and, and seeing the results in, in enabling the results, you know, directly, whether it's clean water, um, access to technology because i think there's a big digital divide that's potentially going to happen with um like with the metaverse and blockchain and you know we got to make sure that that it isn't just western countries and not just affluent individuals or middle class people that everybody you know has access to this but also i don't want to just flood the world with tech as well i'd love to solve you know like real problems you know like building building housing and making sure people have clean you know water and education you know, so what,
0: what would you spend it on though would you spend it on uh tech for people that don't have it. Would you spend it on water purified what what would be your thing? Would it be cooking lessons for everyone, sports lessons, yeah, I those lessons, lessons <laughs> booklet uh tech for everyone? Where where do you think you'd put it?
1: Yeah, um measured tech for everyone or access to tech. That would be one thing. You know, like I said, mm. most of the world now is starting to get mobile phones, so that's great, and that means internet access, you know, but things like immersive tech too, you know, being able to have, you know, virtual reality and partake in the future of the metaverse and all that. So tech for everyone. Um, probably, oh yeah, I hate seeing homeless people. You know, I hate, mm. as in, I, I hate that people are homeless, you know, and I know it sounds a bit uh, cliche, but I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, there are people that are taking advantage of it. There's a lot of people who just, you don't know what they've gone, to, gone through. To yeah, I don't think anyone situation.
0: goes on the street for a holiday. Um, yeah
1: yeah exactly and i know there's people that will pretend they're homeless and beg and whatnot you know on the streets but i think um that and and drug abuse you know i think a lot of people especially in the states i think they need more than
0: 100 million
1: (laughs) yeah yeah but there's so many people in the states who you know Everything's criminalized, you know, and you end up, you know, in a jail cell because you're, you know, smoking crack, or in some states, you're just, just smoking weed, right? Just smoking yeah. weed. Yeah. Three and strikes think, and out, you can get done. Yeah, and you think the reality is, if someone's a drug addict and obviously a drug addict, and they're stealing and you know, you know, that's a sickness they have, you know. So things that can kind of genuinely help people like that, and also try to get people off the streets and into real opportunities. A couple of times I've been able to point people in the right direction, and it's it's a great feeling. Nice. Now, two
0: final questions. Do you have a favorite theory? Like I have a favorite theory called Solomon's paradox, which means it's easier for me to give someone advice about their life than it is for me to give myself advice.
1: Yeah, about yeah.
0: About my life. Or you can be kind of more insightful about other people's position than you can about
1: your own. You, yeah. You have any favorite theories like that? I might, this isn't a cop out, but I, I, when you sent me some of the concepts to, to think on, that was one that caught my eye because, um, if you crawl LinkedIn as an example, there's so many, and I, I always think about this. I think about the people who are like, you hey, know, let me lead your business into, you know, financial success. Let me, you know, let me manage this for you. and manage that, you know, let me help you, you know, people have the tagline. I make company millions, you know, and I do this. And I think, are you a millionaire yourself? You know, I think, you know, and I think it's easy, like you said, it's easy to give advice, you know, and say, you know, and I catch myself doing this sometimes, you know, oh, this is what you should do. This is the way to go about it. Mm. Don't do that. You know, let's, let's shy away from this. It's not healthy, blah, blah, blah. And then not taking it yourself and not doing it yourself. And it's something that, um, that's kind of resonated with me. I don't know why, but it's resonated with me where I thought, why is it so easy, you know, to give genuinely good advice? You know, this is like, if you follow this plan, this is probably going to net out positively for you. And then you think, like, like psychologists, um, children. You think about that. I've heard this all the time. Children, people who are psychologists, sometimes their kids are kind of quite messed up. And you think, well, wait a minute, your parent is a psychologist, you know, and yet it's like they practice, you know, they practice their work, but then they don't really bring it home and actually, you know, do the same there. So, so yeah. So, I, so you're going to get
0: you're going to go with, with Solomon's paradox as well, right? Yeah, so I, I really, really like that one. one. And have you got any book recommendations for people?
1: um i'm trying to think uh on the book right i don't read as much as i should there was one that i was suggested um oh man i'm not gonna remember the name of it um i spoke to a guy the other day who let me see if i can find it within like 10 seconds if not i'll just have to elaborate on it but basically it's a book on innovation and um let me see can find that and if not i'll just have to elaborate and maybe put it up on the youtube link when you when you put this up but um uh, yeah yeah i'm not gonna find it straight away i'll have to think there's a book on on innovation and and how companies especially big companies approach innovation you know you get to a certain size and then you know you start small so you're innovating because you start small like a facebook or google right and you genuinely believe in the product and you're excited by it and then it becomes successful you grow big you know you start adding all these assets and you know functions to your business and then you get to a point where people who have come on board have come in from the outside they don't believe in the same vision typically you know it's like it's a good job for them you know they they believe in the concept but maybe not as impassioned about it and therefore you get people kind of doing a job and innovation slows down. You, know, you get so focused on what am I delivering today or tomorrow mm. to justify my role. Mm. And then you lose touch with the innovative world. You know, mm. hey, this is what's happening. This is what young people are doing. This is new innovations. And a lot of companies go down that path. And this book kind of outlines how they do that and how the, the smaller startups are the ones that are innovating and how big companies more and more are just kind of taping on these new, um, you know, these new capabilities and you lose a bit in the culture you know because the mm. company culture from one company merging and acquisitioning another kind co- of company can be completely different and then you lose some of the soul of of the product yeah. and mm. the, the the things you put out mm. but i cannot remember the name of that but is because it's one i want to read i was just recommended it i'll i'll send you the link if it helps cool. to put it on
0: yeah yeah send us the link and we can put it in the in the notes to go with it Cool, wonderful, and and if people want to keep up with you, where's the where's the best place to, to to follow what you're up to? Obviously, we 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 connected on LinkedIn, but are there any other channels you're you're uh, prolific on?
1: Um, LinkedIn is a good one. Uh, that covers the kind of micro stuff and all the next gen engagement, uh, future of entertainment, um, all that kind of thing. LinkedIn's a good one. I have a Twitter account that I'm fairly active on. Well, I'll have to remember. I'll give you the link for for that as well. Um, those are probably the, most, the, the best. Instagram, I'll put m- more of my photo stuff on there when, whenever I do, which I haven't done it in a little while, but um, I'd love to get back to it. So, so, yeah, I think LinkedIn, if you're on the business side and, and Twitter.
0: All right, lovely. Well, like, Michael, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you for, uh, for, for taking time. And, yeah, great to talk to someone who's, uh, you know, spent spend so much time thinking about metaverse activity as well.
1: No, thank you, Tim. I really appreciate you finding me and having me on. It's been great. Lovely. Cheers. I'll take care.